Good morning, everyone. You guys can be seated. Um, this morning, I'm going to read from Galatians 4, 21 to chapter 5, verse 1. So, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women who are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Some in gray cup mode already. Uh, I know I am starting to get in gray cup mode, but this is a big day, not because the stamps are in the gray cup, but because I, I think this passage has so much power this morning. And I'm, I've really been praying for as many people as possible this morning that the power of sin can be broken in your life. That's how I've been praying for you. Um, I don't know, as you're reading, did you find that text pretty self-explanatory? Did you find... Yeah, some difficulties. Some of you are like nervously chuckling. It's okay. You can laugh here. This is Urban Grace. Um, it's a difficult text, and uh, it's going to take a little bit of explaining. And so I want to pray that the Holy Spirit does that. He explains things to us. Uh, but a couple things I want to uh, just make known to you before uh, we get going here. And a couple things that I'm really excited about. The first one being our Christmas Eve service. Uh, is coming up Christmas Eve. Um, you should be able to remember that. And it's here 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. at the theater here, and it's going to be great. It's going to look great. Um, and we're going to do our best to try and reach this neighborhood and provide this neighborhood with a Christmas Eve gospel service. Fairly traditional, just so that you know. Uh, not going to be any dramas. I'm not going to do a monologue, you know, as Joseph or anything like that. So don't be scared. You can invite your friends to it. Um, it's going to be surprise, straight up gospel message, um, but really, you know, from uh, the text of scripture and this Christmas story. Uh, second thing, I just want to uh, put a shout out to those who, Michelle and Tom, and those who really, uh, Steve, who really made this Friday night's concert. Uh, there's a little thing that's kind of underground been going on with Urban Grace. It's kind of Urban Grace, but really the bands aren't at all from Urban Grace. Uh, but we really support it. It's a little thing called a, uh, a concert series called Home Cooked Music. Cool name, cool posters, really great music. I don't know, for those of you who are at the concert, you know what I'm talking about. This is like concert number two that has been fantastic. There are some great musicians in this city. And uh, I, for one, am really pumped that we get to be a part of um, spurning on or helping create a place for the creative arts in our city. Uh, and making connections. And so that's concert number two. Be looking for concert number three. I think it's going to roll out um, in the near future, but we don't want to talk about it yet, right? It's, it's Christmas time, right? If you go into the malls, it's like, is Christmas already over? It feels like it's been in the mall for forever already. Um, so I'm really excited about, thankful that, not really sure of the number, somewhere between 170 is what I think. Is that about right? Is 92. See, I told you, somewhere between 70 and 100. 92 people were out. Um, but again, just an awesome time. Wanting to put that on the calendar when you hear that's coming out. Um, thirdly, I want to uh, just, just prep you that once we finish our series on the gospel, we'll do a couple of weeks just talking about the Christmas story, and then Christmas Eve will kind of be the highlight of that. And then we'll do some, uh, some other kind of standalone messages uh, that I'm excited about, actually. Um, 
because it's, it's going to give us just kind of a little bit wider of a taste. And then our new series in, uh, in January, we're calling it Magna Civitas, which is Latin for a great city, because we're going to preach through the book of Nehemiah, and I think we're going to learn a lot of cool things about how when God builds a great city, He does it primarily through the, the preaching and the application of the gospel. So today... You're going to hear a sermon on the gospel, and this series really sets the, the table for the next series. That now that we got the gospel, now that we feel like some of you are just like, I think I'm still getting the gospel. Okay, join the club. It's called Urban Grace Church. But once we've got the gospel a little bit, now what do we do with it? Well, that's our series. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. You don't want to miss those. Um, we'll roll out everything coming up for that. Uh, we have new visitors, which is like super cool. I'm super stoked that you're here. If you're new, my name is Trev, and uh, right now I am the pastor at Urban Grace, and uh, I'm like one day away from full-time, guys. Like, this is amazing for me, so uh, you can cheer about that if you'd like. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be amazing. Um, it's been a two-year process. It's kind of like, uh, well, I, I've actually watched my wife give birth, so it's not like childbirth, but it's kind of like giving birth uh, <laughs> uh, in some ways. It's metaphorically like giving birth. Ladies, I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's been a, a process, a great process that we've learned a lot, and it's been difficult, but it's really exciting to be able to kind of dedicate full-time to Urban Grace and what God is doing. Um, and Lastly, I just want, if, if you're new here and you're just kind of joining us, I want you to fill out one of these Connect cards because we want you to be aware of some of the opportunities that we have at Urban Grace. If you're here for the first time, what you're seeing and participating in is, and I change the percentages all the time, it's not lying, it's just forgetfulness, but it's somewhere in like the 60 to 70% range uh, of what you're missing. So if this is all you're coming to, you're missing almost 70% of what Urban Grace is really about. Because we want you to hear the gospel. We want you to sing about the gospel. We want you to hear about Jesus and get saved. But then we want you to join Jesus in his mission. And we would like, that, we would like you to do that in our city groups. In fact, that's the only other opportunity we have in our church is our city groups. These are the small way in which we do our church. And we gather weekly and we serve the city together. We bless the city together in these groups. We learn the gospel together. We call each other out in the gospel when we see it drifting and we help and encourage one another and we love on one another in these groups. And uh, we call them city groups to kind of give you this idea that they're designed to to serve and bless the city. And if you're not connected to one of those, would you fill out one of these and get connected to one of those groups? Uh, we'd love to do that. Um, and any other information that you might need, if today is the first time you become a Christian, you'd like some more help, and what do I do next? Fill out one of these, in, and the offering plate will be passed at the end of the service. Okay. I think I'm done. Not the message with the announcements. Okay, let's pray and ask Jesus to, to help us with the Spirit this morning. Jesus, thank you for your Spirit. Thank you that we do not have to do, uh, we don't have to hear in our own power, we don't have to preach in our own power, but we can ask for the power of your Holy Spirit and that power is available to us. The same power that rose you from the dead, Jesus, is the same power that we are asking for to raise our spiritual hearts from the dead. Some of us have come here this morning and we desperately need to hear how the power of sin can be broken in our lives. We need to have the truth of the gospel wash over us this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, you know who the people are here that need that this morning. And I'm praying that you specifically reach each person how you want to reach them. And that, please, use my words however you want. Help me not to say what I'm not supposed to say, but help me to say something that, that you want me to say that I have not prepared to say, Jesus. I want you to do this for your glory. I want you to bring yourself glory. I want you to bring attention to yourself. So at the end of the day, Jesus, people will say, man, isn't Jesus great? That's my hope and my prayer, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. That crying's not new. That'll happen periodically. <laughs> for those of you who know me, for those of you who don't, you'll find out very quick. Today's text is a very difficult text. And... 
to catch you up to speed as where we are in our series. We're in a series on Galatians, and this series is primarily about the gospel. That's why we named our series Gospel. I am loving what Jesus is doing through this series. It is fascinating to me how even though I am tempted to move on because it seems so repetitive, what I keep hearing from people is, I'm so glad I hear the gospel every week. And I need to hear the gospel. I said, aren't you getting tired of it? Well, I need to hear it every week. So it's like, I'm really appreciative that that, um, Jesus is working. I'm glad that we preach, uh, we would call it, exegetical preaching which is or expositional preaching which is kind of going through a, a book of the bible at the time to capture the context capture the capture the whole meaning and to be honest i would never repeat the messages as much as i do if i wasn't preaching through galatians and it's helping press home what the gospel really is sometimes you need what the gospel isn't as well and so we found that in our series that Paul, the writer of this particular letter, explains what the gospel isn't so that he can help his friends in Galatia find out what the gospel really is. Because what was happening is he preached the gospel message to them. That's the first thing you need to know about the gospel. It is news that you have to make a decision about. Simplified form, Paul would say is, Jesus Christ, God, became man, lived a perfect sinless life, then died a terrible, horrible death on your behalf, in your place, for your sins, rose again, and thereby gave you his life in exchange for your sinful life. You receive his perfect sinful life and righteousness simply through belief, not through works, not through coming to church, not through praying a prayer, not through anything that you do, but through Jesus Christ, through faith. You believe this. Jesus says, I give this freely to you through faith. Already some of you are like, wait a second, there's nothing that I can do? No, there isn't. That is the gospel. That is the news of the gospel. It is news. What do you do with news? You listen to it and believe whether it's true or not. That's it. You don't turn on the television at night and go, well, I wonder if this applies to my life. You know, that apartment building burning down in, in northwest Calgary. You don't do that. You say, well, it's news. I either believe it's true or it's not true. And the gospel is the best news. In fact, that word gospel means good news that you simply must make a decision about. And I ask you every week, if you... Do not believe that yet, or you don't know what that means, or you're still trying to figure that out. Please, join a number of people and stop listening to me and figure that out. Get that straight in your heart, because that is more important than anything else you can hear this morning. Whether or not you believe that news. Now, once you believe that news, something happens. Jesus takes over your life. That's what you say, Jesus, I believe this news, take over my life. That's what it means to become a Christian. And when you say that, I believe everything that you're saying is true. Take over my life, Jesus. What happens is he saves you. He saves you for eternity. And then he chooses you and puts you on mission. And you have things to do. You have a mission. Part of your mission will probably be joining... Well, no. Part of your mission is joining a local church, a local community. Maybe not this one. That's fine, actually. But joining that mission and applying that gospel in your life. That's really important that you get this. And that gospel message was what Paul preached to the Galatians. Who, as Gentiles, were like, we didn't know we could get access to this Jewish God. Or we thought the God was that God was totally Jewish, and turns out he's not Jewish, he's for everyone. Anyone who will believe in the name of Jesus Christ. But some false teachers who were Jewish came in and they said, well, that's all fine and good. But really, we're going to lose a whole lot of people if we don't keep obeying the law. Now, the law as understood in the Old Testament, if you read through it, anyone ever read through Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those books? That's what we would constitute as a law. Anyone ever had a hard time? Anyone like skipped Leviticus and was like, oh, I'm going to move on to Deuteronomy, there's more stories. Anyone? Please? Yes. Great Cup Sunday. Thank you. Uh, you join me. That's what I did because the, the law was like, eh, no thanks. But these Jewish leaders were like, 
no, you really should obey this law because it's there and, and you know, we can't just let this thing go. And, and Paul spends a whole letter going, you will miss everything if you choose to obey the law over choosing through faith to believe that Jesus Christ is everything for you. You will lose everything. You won't just like add a bunch of things to your Christian life. He says, you'll become as bad as if you had never heard the gospel before. Anyone ever tell you that? Anyone ever say like, don't try to earn your salvation because that is a worse way of trying to reach God than if you never heard of God before. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? That's a very serious way about talking about the gospel. But Paul says that and he spends a lot of time defending this. And so it, it's, it is very repetitive. Some of you will find, like, Trev, you preached about this before. And I'm like, I know. Every week I come in, I'm like, seriously, this is, again, the same thing? But the funny thing is, the more that you hear it, the more you go, the more you need to hear it. Anyone find that to be true? The more you hear the gospel, the more you're like, wow, there's a lot of places in my life that I don't practically believe that this is true. I think this is true. I hear the gospel message. I don't disbelieve that God exists. I don't disbelieve that Jesus is my Savior. I don't disbelieve that I'm a sinner. I don't disbelieve that it's through faith. But functionally, you're functioning like righteousness by your works still really matters. How many of you function like if I do more good things, it'll outweigh my bad? How many functionally act like that? And if I asked you to monitor your own spiritual life, you would say, well, I didn't sin a lot, so I'm doing not bad. Or you would say the opposite, I'm sinning a lot, so I'm doing horrible. Anyone ever feel like that? That's a a real problem in our church. Oh, I'm sinning a lot, I must be doing terrible. The Bible actually says you are going to be like this for the rest of your life until glory and Jesus completely, totally, perfectly transform you. Until then, you are going to struggle with this and deal with this and have this. But that's not going to prevent you from everything that Jesus has. That is why the gospel is such good news. And some of you really, really need to hear that. Because for some of you, the power of sin is so real in your life that you literally, when you sin, you say, I can't help it. I am a slave to this. Any of you have a habitual sin in your life? Pride, problems with money, problems with pornography, problems with lust, problems with eating, anything like that. that You literally feel like, I am a slave to this. I have no choice. I can't get out. I can't tell anyone, I can't show anyone, I cannot get out of this. Or you have images with identity. You're always struggling to know who you are in Jesus Christ and you're constantly returning to a horrible image instead of the image that Jesus Christ is building and developing in you. If that is you this morning, this text is for you because Christ said you are not a slave. Don't buy that. Don't buy into that. But in order to really get this text, I am going to have to tell you this story of Abraham because I I can't make any assumptions. This is great, by the way. Um, Usually preachers are told, like, assume that there's a general knowledge of people in the congregation. But because we have lots of people that some of them have never been in church before, some of them don't have these Bible stories. If you grew up in church, you have some of these stories But if I was to ask, and I did this, you know, with some friends, I said, okay, tell me the two sons of Abraham. And it was like, it took like at least 30 seconds to come up with the two, and and the two wives. You know, who can automatically raise your hand and know exactly what I'm talking about? Anyone? Oh, a lot less than I thought. Okay, a couple, right. It's not a lot. I'm not going to assume that you know these stories. I got to tell you the story of Abraham. Okay, this is, this would have been general knowledge to, to Paul's, friends he would have they they would have known in in galatia what he was talking about but this is the story very early in genesis uh, some of you are like genesis is there so we can understand the creation story let me just give you a picture of how important god thinks you knowing about everything in creation is versus you knowing everything about abraham the creation of the world is summed up in one chapter The story of Abraham takes almost 15. 
Does that tell us how much God wants us to know the story of Abraham versus how much he wants us to know about the creation of the world? He wants us to know he created it, but after that, he's like, really, seriously, I want you to get Abraham. Because if you don't get Abraham, it's going to be tough to explain the gospel in real detail. And that's exactly what Paul says. So the story of Abraham really begins in Genesis chapter 12. So we don't have any background to this. That's typical of the Bible. They don't give a ton of background. They're just like, oh, by the way, Abraham is on the scene. At this point, his name is Abram. Okay, actually, Genesis chapter 11. There's a bunch of descendants here, and it's like Abram is one of the descendants. And so in, in chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go, to your con- go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's it. How'd you like that for a mandate, friends? Oh, go move to a city that I will show you. What city? I'll show you it. Just get on a plane. Can you imagine that? What kind of faith that would take? Well, where are we going? I don't know. Just get in the car. We're going to drive. I'll tell you. How are you going to tell me? I don't know. I'll just do it. Uh, What does Abram do? Not what you and I would do. He says, okay. And he gathers like his whole clan. Like this isn't like him and a couple of buddies and his wife. This is not friends on a trip, okay? This is like a whole family, a small town. Uh, later, I, 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 I discovered this this week, believe it or not. There are things I don't know. I, I don't know if you knew that yet, but I was reading. It's going to be very obvious in a couple of minutes, but I was reading, and he's going to rescue some people, and in, in Genesis chapter 14, verse 14, when Abraham heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men. Like, he's just talking about trained men. Like, soldiers, kind of? Like, henchmen? Like, bodyguards? Sort of thing? He led forth his trained men born in his house. 318. Bodyguards. That's, he has 318 bodyguards. That tells you how many people are with Abram. There's a lot of dudes, a lot of dudettes. There's tons of people. What's amazing is he doesn't actually have any of his own kids. None of his own kids. He just has tons of cousins, tons of brothers and sisters, tons of like servants, bodyguards, everything like that. So there's this small town. Abram's like, okay, you take you and your small town. I want you to go to a land. He's like, okay, I'll get in the, I don't know what he got in, on a donkey or something like that. Probably one of those cool like rickshaw things with someone pulling it. So he's like, okay, we're just going to go. He goes, and on the way, God's like, okay, stop. I don't know how God says this to him at all. I have no idea. It wasn't email, I know that, but I have no idea how God spoke to Abram, whether he talked through someone else, whether one of his bodyguards was like, hey, dude, I got a dream for you. I don't know if that's how it went. But somehow God spoke to him. Somehow he knew it was God. Here's what happened. God was like, there, that's your land. Abram's like, uh, okay, uh, cool. Um, just so you know, God, there's already people there. It's like, I know, I know, but that's going to be your land. Actually, technically it's not going to be yours because you're not even going to be alive when you get it. It's going to be all your descendants. Like Abram's like, could have told me that before, but it probably wouldn't have gone out. So Abram's like, okay, that land Canaan is the land that I'm going to live in. That's going to be our land, but this is land that's presently occupied. So he's like, tell you what, I'll build a tent and I'll wait it out. I'll wait for this land to like become deserted. Doesn't really work. In fact, what happens in uh, chapter 13 and 14 uh, is that Abram, he rescues one of his nephews from some of the bad parts of the land. Um, And what also happens is that uh, uh, there's a great famine. Great famine in the land, that's chapter 12. So he's like, he's journeying to a land that he doesn't yet know and doesn't yet own and doesn't really know all that well. And then he's like, okay, but from that land, I now have to also make another journey to Egypt just to find some, something to eat. So this guy's like on two journeys, two separate journeys. He doesn't have a home yet, but through faith, he believes that the Lord will fulfill his promise. Now, this is why the Bible says that Abraham's faith was great. Not because every moment of the day he woke up and he said, like, today I believe perfectly, but because the whole trajectory of his life, his whole lifestyle was revolved around his belief that God will fulfill his promise, the promise that 
he would become a great nation through God, that God would deliver to him a son, and through that son, he would have a great nation, way too many people to count. He's like, you thought 318 was big? I'm going to show you, like, count the sand on beach. If you can count the sand on the beach, then you can count the amount of people that are going to be part of your family. And Abraham believes that, and God credits Abraham through that faith as righteousness. He says, that's all I wanted was for you to believe me at my word, and I will give this to you. It takes a long time for this to happen. In fact, there's a lot of speed bumps along the way. And so Abraham, Abram at the time moves, and he's 75. But 15 years into this, did you hear what I said? 15 years into this, he's like, ah, okay, God, got to have a little fireside chat here. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm 90 now. And I'm supposed to have a son, and it's looking pretty grim, and I'm not really sure what to do. And God's like, okay, wait. He's like, yeah, I've been waiting for 90 years. I believe this promise. He's actually persuaded his wife, or his wife has been persuaded to believe the same thing. And so she's also 90. Now, ladies, if you're 90, how how close are you to bearing children? Right? You hit like 45, and that clock is ticking. Right? You're just like, i got to have kids, or I'm never going to have kids. Imagine you're 90. Like, your brothers and sisters are dying, and, you're, and God's like, you're going to have children. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's like, totally, totally believe that. So she says, well, tell you what. I know this is probably not the way it should go, but why don't you find someone who is childbearing age? You have a slave, Abram. Why don't you sleep with a slave, have a son through her? Uh, I'll be right around the corner to make sure you're not having too much fun and everything. But why don't you do this? I know, it's really uncomfortable. Have you noticed how the Bible gets really uncomfortable? Like, how would that go down? Not really comfortably. I was talking to Leslie about that. She was like, oh, no. She'd be like, no, you better not have any fun while doing this. But I want you to have a baby with my slave. Because really, this is the only way I can think of. It's not the best way. It's the only way I can think of. So Abraham's like, all right, I guess if I have to. And he does it. And you know what? God doesn't really say anything negative about it. I just find that amazing. That God doesn't say anything. I was like, if I was God, I'd be like, gotcha. You are so faithless. But for some reason, God, God doesn't condone it. He doesn't say, this is good. In fact, he says, this isn't the way I want it to happen. But I'm not going to neglect what happened. I'm not going to... He actually redeems that situation. This is what is amazing about God is that's what God does. That's why he's called a redeemer. Because he takes a horrible situation like that and does something really, really great with it. Only God can do that. When that happens in business, like things are going bad, we're like, shut it down. This is over. That even happens in churches. Churches go bad, something happens. It's like, shut it down. But God's like, no, I'm going to make this awesome. Because that's what I do. I'm God. And he does. He does some awesome things. He takes care of this. Her name is Hagar. I would have changed my name, but Hagar it is. And uh, she has a son. And you can imagine how this goes between the ladies. Not well. Ladies, I mean, you don't even have to have kids with the same man to be jealous of each other, right? Am I right, ladies? No? I hit a soft spot, didn't I? Sorry about that. But I've seen it live. I mean, I've got two little girls. They're not even moms yet, and they get jealous really quick. It's like, oh, Eve, here you go, Diana. It's like, where's mine? You know, and, and, and Eve's vice versa, right? So there's this jealousy that goes on. She's like, oh, come on. Hagar is pregnant now. Oh, I made a huge mistake. And so, she, so she's like, what? And God's like, you know what? I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to have, you're still going to have your son. And Sarah's like, no, no, seriously, God, come on. And she laughs at God. I, I said one Sunday, you know, it's the equivalent of saying, <laughs> then I found out someone actually named their son Isaac, uh, which is kind of dangerous for, for me in this church right now. But your name isn't <laughs> It means he laughs. But that's kind, of what, that's kind of what Sarah did to God. 
God is like, you're going to be pregnant with a son. And she's like, nah, not really. No way. And God's like, oh, yeah, in fact, you're going to name your kid. And that's how you're going to know every time when you call that kid in for supper, you're going to be reminded of what you did. Come here. You know, come for supper. Put your, you know, clothes on. Stop picking your nose. You know, that kind of thing. Every time she's going to be reminded of this. I mean, funny of God almost, eh? Funny of God. Interestingly enough, um, there's this huge jealousy issue and these, these two women aren't really getting along and Sarah's like, okay, I've had enough. I, I, and she's, she has this baby. I mean, it's just miraculous and she does name it and she, she probably laughs in a different way and she probably cries in a different way. There's crying laughing and then there's crying crying. I think she did the crying crying thing of joy. Like, I can't believe that God did this. I'm 90 years old. I had a baby. <laughs> can't imagine what that play school was like, eh? All these, you know, 30-year-old moms. And there's Sarah, 90, in her walker. Here's my child. But that's what happened. This is amazing. This jealousy doesn't go well. And, and, and Sarah says, we've got to get rid of this lady, Hagar. Not only is her name odd, but she's driving me crazy. She's got to go out in the desert, and hopefully she'll die out there. I mean, Sarah's really mad, and, 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 and they send her off. And God's like, well, you do what your wife says. The one time it seems like God says, do what your wife says. But he says, send her out into the desert, and I'll take care of her. And he does. And he says, in fact, I know this wasn't the way I wanted, but I'm going to build... I'm going to build a nation through Ishmael, and I'm also going to build a nation through Isaac. But, but Isaac is the chosen child. And that, I'm going to stop that story. I mean, it's fun to tell because it's a pretty crazy story, isn't it? Amen. Everyone heard that story before? That's a crazy, crazy story. I love telling that story. But you have to know that because what Paul says is, okay, you got two sons, you got two moms, and you got one real dad. And so that, that's the content of the, of the message. You have to know about the two sons. You have to know about the two mums to really, to really get that. And so he said, there's these two sons. And one of them is Ishmael and one of them is Isaac. Ishmael actually means God provides. He's like, think about this with me for a second. He's like, tell me, okay, you false teachers who want to believe the law or follow the law, he's like, I'm going to use that law and I'm going to turn around and explain to you how it's going to be impossible for you to understand or believe that you can receive your salvation through works. I'm going to use your own law to prove this. He says, now follow me here for a second. It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, Hagar, and one by a free woman, his wife. I'm sure Abraham didn't call him the free woman, he called her Sarah. But that's what Paul calls her, the free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to promise. See, that's exactly how it came about. Because Abram was like, I'm going to do this through my works. And God's like, no, no, you're going to do this through my promise. He says, so the son Ishmael is born through fleshly desire, through works, through your way of doing it. But Isaac is born through my way of doing it. Isn't that cool? And then he says, uh, now, now this may be interpreted allegorically. He's talking about the moms now. These two women are two covenants. One from Mount, um, I actually like the way you said it, Sinai. I think it's Sinai. So I've heard it, but I like Sinai. It's, it sounds more hipster. Um, one is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. And, and so he begins to say these two women are like the t- two cities, the old Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem. If you don't know anything about Jewish history... You know that the old Jerusalem is like capital city. It's like Mecca. They're still fighting over there, by the way, about the land there. That's how important this is. They're still having conflict over this today. Most of those Middle Eastern conflicts are around land, are they not? And this is still an issue. They still believe Jerusalem is the deal. 
So he's like, Hagar, Hagar is like the old Jerusalem, the old way of thinking. He said, Isaac is like the new Jerusalem. But funnily enough, he's, he's stealing the story of the Jews and saying, it was never works by law. If you even go back to the original story, I mean, everyone who's Jewish uses Abraham as their ancestor. That was the big bragging point in the New Testament. So when Jesus walked around and he was, you know, they were like, hey, uh, God is doing something new. You know what the general response was? Abe's our father. I'm a son of Abraham. That's me. And, and even in um, the, uh, if, if Jesus is the main man, John the Baptist is the, is the, the, the front uh, the what's what's it called again? The opening act. There we go. Thank you. Um, again, using a, another hipster reference. An opening act is John the Baptist, and, and he's kind of giving the idea that one day um, Jesus is going to come on the scene, and he says to people, "Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham.'" Paul is just doing what Jesus does and saying, no, no, no. The point is not that God has erased the law. The point is he has fulfilled it and showed you clearly what this has always been about. It's always been about Isaac and the promise. Always. You can go back as far as you want. You can go back right to the very beginning. And grace is there. Isaac was not born through something that Abraham did. Well, I mean... Not technically. In a way, yes. But Isaac was born purely through a miracle. I think that's why God was like, hey, just wait a second here. I'm going to do something cool. I mean, there's no way you can say it's you if you're 90 years old, both of you, and you have kids. Even if that happened today. Can you imagine if that happened today? Everyone would still be saying, this is miracle. This is not normal. I'm not sure how this happened. And Paul says, if you're comparing working your way to God versus receiving God's way through Christ, it's always been there. To use the allegorical, to use the two sons, to use the two women. And he's saying, as a, as a believer in Christ... If you believe in Christ, you're actually like a son of Abraham, which would have been very offensive, by the way. And just so that you know, if you have Jewish descent or if someone ever talks to you, the one really offensive thing to Jews is that Christians take their story away from them. They're like, fine, believe in Jesus. That's cool. Just don't start tying us in with you. That's really offensive. It's like we got our own stories. Our story is Abraham. Becomes Abraham. God changes his name. Because he changed his heart as well. And this is what Paul says. And so you're like, well, what does this even apply? What does this even apply? Well, Paul is talking kind of historically, and then he's talking allegorically, and then he gets real personal. He says, okay, I talked about the two sons. Okay, I talked about the two moms. It's like, okay, I'm going to talk about your father, your true father. And what it means to be a child of the Most High God. You don't get this through the slave son. You get this through the promised son. You don't receive this through works. You receive this through faith. You don't receive this by what you do for God. You receive this by what He does for you. The works of the law is, you should do, you should, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. The works of Christ is, I will, I will, I will. You hear the difference? Yeah, you need to know that difference. You need to start there. But the reality is, for so many of us, we believe this. But we act like this. We believe that we receive the promises through faith, but internally we are so slaved up to our master, Hagar and Ishmael. You know what's fascinating is that the 
one of the most popular religions, which is the Muslim religion. I'm not criticizing here on purpose, but I'm trying to show the distinction. I I read up some stuff about the Muslim belief. And believe me, if that was like, if I was making a choice right now, I would not choose it. It's so hopeless to me. Literally, this is the way it goes. One day, a scale is coming where if you have enough good works, they'll outweigh the bad. Think about that for a second. What would that bring as far as hope to your life? Does that sound hopeful to you? Hopefully, you'll do more good things than bad. Except if you read the Bible, you're bad if you think bad. And really, your only hope is that 51% of your life can be good works as opposed to 49% bad. That's your only hope. But you have no idea of the scale. And you know what Muslims tie in as their father? Did you know this? This is crazy, crazy Ishmael. They literally credit him as one of their spiritual fathers. This whole way of thinking still dominates entire countries in our world. We don't live in an overly Muslim population, but the, the place where this, this church began to spread, you know what's happened to it, Turkey? Do you know what Turkey is like today? Any of you? It's 99% Muslim. There's no gospel there. Even what churches are there are so orthodox and so works righteousness based. Now do you see, I mean, we're 2,000 years away from this, but in 2,000 years, our entire country could be Muslim if the gospel's not preached properly. If you don't hear that clearly and stay on mission with Jesus to proclaim through your life, that's what can happen to our country. It will happen to you personally, and then it will happen to us civically, and then it will happen to us provincially, and then it will happen to us nationally. And friends, you've got to take this seriously. This is a real issue. Again, some of you believe this externally, but you're not living as though it's true. And thereby proving through your own witness that you don't truly believe this. Now, I'm not saying perfection. Please don't hear me say that. But I'm hearing you, you, like, how many of you, if you described your Christian life to someone else, would describe as free versus I have to? If you've got a lot of I have to, there's some functional work of the gospel that needs to happen in your life. And I prayed for you this morning. I prayed for you last night that Jesus would somehow break the power of sin in some of your lives. Not that you wouldn't sin, but that the grip that sin has. Because Hagar, like a true kind of slave, jealous woman, will reach into your soul and grip tightly. And the work of the flesh, the works of our flesh will just, that's our default mode, friends. That is our default mode. And it will feel like a crushing weight. So let me ask you this question. As we look at this last part, are you Ishmael or Isaac? Do you know whether what you are? That's a gospel issue. That's the first question I asked you. Get that straight. And this is not like, are you Ishmael or Isaac? You have no choice or participation in the matter. The question is, if you're an Ishmael and you don't want to be, become an Isaac today. Become a child of promise. Become a child through faith. Yes, it is that simple. It is that simple. Through faith, we receive everything in Jesus Christ. But friends, I think from the text of what we see here now, you brothers like Isaac are children of the promise, but just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. And friends, this is our first application is we can expect that Ishmael will attack Isaac. Have you noticed that the most opposition within your Christian life so rarely comes from people who are overtly against you and so often is people whom you love who are telling you to do the wrong things? Telling you to believe the wrong things? 
Like you're like, I'm really sick. I should pray for healing. And someone comes in. If you just prayed more, you'd get healed. You know how sick that is? That's Ishmael talking. If you just worked harder, God would reward you more. Do you hear that clearly? That's Ishmael. That's Hagar begging to you, preaching to you, follow me. The scripture says we can expect this attack. And what do we got? What, what, what's our defense? What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman. We cast out the slave woman. Cast her out. Get lost, Ishmael. I belong to Sarah. I'm Isaac. Get lost. You are not a part of my life. Cast her out. I know it sounded so harsh in the Old Testament. I'm sure everyone's like, why is God doing this in this story? Because God wanted to give a visual picture of what he wanted us to do as we live the gospel out. As we live the truth of the gospel. He says, so brothers, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. For freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not again submit to the yoke of slavery. Don't buy that crap. You guys know what a yoke is? Anyone who's like agricultural and from the 1600s? Okay, right on. Okay, for those of you who don't know, we had one in our barn. It was like horses. Horses, horse people would understand yoke. I'm in Calgary. Some of you should understand this. A yoke is something you put over your neck. For what reason? What purpose do you put a yoke over your neck? To pull things. That's it. It's not the party. You don't put a, hey, what are you going as? I'm putting a yoke on for fun. You put a yoke on, has big heavy rings on it, so you can pull a plow through hard dirt. Paul says, don't put it on. Don't put on the yoke of slavery. Don't try and pull your way to God. Don't try and do good things to try and earn your way to God. Cast it off. Like Abram sent out the, the, the slave woman into the desert and her son. No more to live with him. How do you know you're, you're wearing this yoke? A couple of things that I thought of. Number one, does Christian, your Christian life leave, feel heavy and overwhelming and suffocating to you? Does a belief in God somehow feel like it's just a, a big weight on your legs? If it does, friends, I believe you're putting on the yoke. And if it doesn't, you know you've cast off the yoke. And Jesus has cast it off for you. Does it feel hopeless and discouraging? You feel beaten up like a GSP opponent. Big UFC shout out. Yeah. You feel like beaten and bloodied. In the ring, you're like, tap out. I'm out. You're putting on the yoke of slavery. You still monitor your sin by what you do outwardly rather than deal with what you wish you could do inwardly. Some of you are still trying to manage your sin. We talked about this early in our series on the gospel. We talked about how gospel plus and gospel minus is not gospel. You add to the gospel, which means you add a bunch of yokes, or you minus, you, you say there's no issues to deal with. Either way, it, it's not the gospel. And some of you are still monitoring your sin. You're like, well, I didn't do that sin and I didn't do this sin and I didn't do that sin. But you're not looking in your heart and you're saying, yeah, but if I really could get away with it, I would do it. Ask yourself that question. Whatever sin you think you're not doing, if there were no consequences for it in this world, would you do it anyways? I would. There's so many places in my life that really the only thing that holds me back sometimes is the fact that I know I'll destroy family and friends through doing it. But inwardly, I deeply desire to do it anyways. I'm like my three-year-old so much in that. Right? I want to get as close to the line as possible. I, want, I just want a bold-faced lie and pretend there's nothing. Hilarious story, I'll tell you, right in the middle of this. Okay, I found my little back from my iPhone. It's, it looks like an old tape. You guys remember what tapes are? Like cassette tapes? 
right? You put the pencil in them and twist them. Yeah, I just got a text from a buddy who showed me a videotape. He's like, what's this? I was like, exactly. Those, are, those days are gone. So the reason why I thought it was kind of cool and vintage and hipster, and so I bought it. And uh, turns out it looks exactly like a tape, and no one pays attention to my iPhone because of that. Disappeared one day. I'm like, I know where this is gone, but I don't know where it is gone. I know it's my three-year-old. I know it. I ask her, where's my cover? I don't know. Right? Yesterday or two days ago, three days ago, hon, what was it? She's wearing her safari vest, and she's like, look, Dad, look what I found. This my iPhone cover. And she goes, yeah, you put it here. Like that, without even, like, pretending to, to like, I might have done it. She's like, yeah, you totally put it here. I was like, totally. Yeah, I totally went on a safari and put my iPhone cover in. And she's just like, yeah. She, she doesn't get that yet. She doesn't understand. But I'm so like that with God. I'm like, yeah, I'll lie. You'll just cover it up. Nobody will know. As much as I believe Jesus has done so much work in my heart and, and, and saved me from so many things, inside there are so many things that I still go, yeah, I know, I know, I know the truth, but I'm just, there's a pull there. You ever feel that pull? It's like, I know this is not helpful. I know this is against God. I know this will destroy my life, but somehow I still want to taste it a little bit. I'm like, it's like Eve in the garden, right? Not my kid Eve, but Eve in the garden. Well, actually, these days I can't tell the difference. It's like, you can have anything you want, but this one apple. And it's like, well, but that apple's red. And there's some promises with that apple. It's like that pull. But are you monitoring your sin by what you do outwardly? Or are you monitoring like you've got problems inside? That to tell you the good, honest truth, you would sin if you knew you could get away with it. Now, that's not to discourage you. That's just to show you like, God's got that covered. He's got a plan for this. He knows this about you. He created you. He also created the gospel to help you with this. Because he knew that you would need something else. He knew that you couldn't do this this balance thing. He knew that you couldn't do more good works than bad works. He knew that was not possible. And so he created the gospel and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to proclaim that gospel, fulfill that gospel, and apply that gospel through his spirit in your life. Are you still driven primarily by what you should do rather than what you want to do? You come to church, read your Bible, be on mission, because it's like, ah, I should. I feel really guilty if I don't. If that's you, that's that yoke again. That's Hagar chirping in your ear. No, send her away. Send her away. What does the text also say? We can expect God's grace and not the weight of the law. For some of us, we've put the yoke on our back, but God doesn't put that yoke on our back. In fact, Jesus actually says these very words, take my yoke, my yoke's light. My yoke's not made for pulling works. My yoke is made for receiving grace. You put my yoke on, it will feel like you don't have a yoke on. You'll be like, what the? I've got a yoke on and all these things are happening and I'm not doing anything? Yeah, that's the yoke of Jesus. It's freeing, friends. There's freedom in that. We're going to talk all about that next week again. And you're going to hear it again. But I just want to just... uh, This was fun for me, by the way. I I got surprised. I cried when I was preparing this. But I got some cool pictures from the text of Scripture. Because so often what happens is, as I talk about freedom and not slavery, and you're like, okay, if I can just stop being a slave and be free, and friends, actually what happens is, if you want freedom, you've just got to believe in a better Savior. That's what happens. Have you ever noticed, anyone ever had a, uh, broke up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Anyone ever? Please tell me you've done that. Okay? What's the best way to get rid of that feeling of a broken relationship? Get a new one. 
right? Nothing takes away that sting like a new girlfriend or boyfriend. What's the best way to get rid of that sting of that old job? Get a new, better job, right? Like if you leave a pretty good job for a really great job, you're not like, oh man, I wish I could go into work more and make less money. You're like, sweet. My old job was terrible compared to my new job. Now, it was pretty good in the time, but it's great. That's what Jesus asks you to do. He doesn't even say, give up your Savior. He's like, just look at me. I'm a better Savior. Another way to say you're a slave is you're an idolater. I know that sounds crazy, but idol worship isn't something that's just, you know, African countries or, or anything like that. Idols are very real. Let me explain as, as simply as I can. Oh, we're, we're way past that, Fabian. So two sons, two moms, a real father, and uh, we can expect to receive God's grace if he can go there. But this is what he says. Idols are much more than statues that our ancestors bowed down to and anything that we build our lives on, anything that we lean on for meaning or identity, anything that we, we hope will bring us freedom can be an idol. That's totally, and I can't remember how to say that last name. It's a T word. But idolatry is, it implies this. It implies this, that you and I are created to worship. Remember that song we sang in the beginning? Anyone remember that song, All Creatures? All creatures were meant to sing God's praise. We're all created as worshipers. And the real problem is not whether we will worship or not. The real problem is who or what we will worship. And because we're created to be worshipers, we can't really help it. We'll find something to worship. Have you ever noticed that? You deal with this issue. You stop worshiping this idol and it's like, well, this one just springs up. And you begin to worship some. And we worship anything and everything. And some, some idols sound crazy to us. Some of us think we don't have idols. That's our idol. We think we're pretty good. We're free and clear from idolatry. Idols are anything that we place our hope on. So the problem is when you, when you don't think you have idols, you're placing your hope on your righteousness and not Christ's. That's the idol there. That's what you're worshiping. Your own works, which is as camouflaged as it gets in the Christian life. It's hard to tell, but this is how idols work. Idols never come through with their promises. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed you'll be, you'll be like having hope in something? Like, for instance, I'll give you a, a hypothetical. Let's just say I have hope that the Calgary Stampeders will win the Grey Cup. Okay, but let's say, I don't just say that, but that I, I hope this. And I'm, I'm going to be like, well, I'm going to be sad if they don't, and I'm going to be happy if they do. Okay, that's so far we're not bad. Then I'm going to be like, I am going to revolve my joy on that win. You see what's happening to a simple game? It's starting to become an idol, something I really hope in. And you will find out how idolatrous I really am. I know, I'm on display here. You'll find out through my response. But maybe I can be even external enough, but inside I'm like, I'm crushed. My whole week is wrecked and my whole off-season is ruined inside. It's possible. Don't laugh. Some of you are like this. You laugh at me, but for some of you, it's something else. It's your job. For some of you, it's pleasure. Sexual pleasure. Material pleasure. For some of you, it's, it's family. And your hope is in your family. And if your family ever got ripped from you, you'd be destroyed. For some of you, it's actually your church. Your church can be an idol because if it's pulled away from you, you're destroyed and your spiritual vitality is based only on your church experience. That's actually very close to idolatrous. An idol is anything that we place our hope in. And so how do you, how do you get rid of an idol? I, 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 I think you need to take attention away from getting rid of an idol and just believe different things. Understand simply the faults that your idol, because you'll, I mean, seriously, what am I? Maybe 50-50, maybe 60-40 that my idol will come through for me today. If if it was my idol, 40-60 their way, 60-40 our way. 
right? What do you need? You need to simply hear these things. I'm going to list them off. This is fun for me. If you can go through them, Fabian. Here's some things about how Jesus is a better Savior than whatever idol you could possibly worship. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise. Do you have idols that allow you to be broken and want you to be broken? I can guarantee you most of your idols don't want you to be like that. They want you to be tough and strong. Never let them see you sweat. That's an old commercial, sorry. But never see them... Never let anyone see you broken. But God says, no, no, no. This Savior wants you to be broken. He doesn't despise that. He loves that. He loves to work in that. Isn't Jesus better than your idol already? Secondly, here's a cool one. Isaiah 66, 13. He comforts like a mother comforts. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. What the text doesn't say is God's your mom, okay? Don't get weirded out by that, please. But even as guys, we are comforted by our moms, are we not? When you, guys, when you're sick, what do you do? What do you think about? You think about calling your mom and asking her to make chicken noodle soup for you, don't you? Yeah, you do. Or you expect your wife to act like your mom. What do you do when you feel real pain? Do you call up the harshest person you can think of or do you call up someone like your mom? Why? Do you want someone just to comfort you? There are few better things in this world than going home and mom's got like this awesome home-cooked meal and you just feel loved by mom. Well, actually, my parents kind of split the cooking duties, but for this illustration, please, it's my mom. Right? It's comforting. Scripture says, your Savior's like that. Your Savior's like a comforting mom that always wants to know how you're doing, always wants to help you out, always wants to give you a pat on the back and say, it's gonna, you're going to be okay, you're going to make it, and get some hot soup. It's awesome. Already a better Savior. Thirdly, Jesus was made like us so that he would know how we felt. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or payment for the sins of the people. Friends, does your master, does the idol that you worship, can they promise that? I know exactly what you're going through. Some of you are worshiping idols that have no idea who you even are. They don't care. They might even not want you to grow. Not your Savior, Jesus Christ. He became like you so that he would know how we felt. Fourthly, he was tempted worse than you were tempted. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Did I write that down? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Can your Savior do that? The one you're trying to worship, can your Savior promise that? I know I've been tempted like you. Can't. I can guarantee you that right now. Fifthly, I love this promise. This is a mandate to men, but it's also a promise of who Jesus is for us as Christians. He gave himself for the church to clean the stains of her guilt and wash away her sins. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's what we're doing right now. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you know how many times I have watched TLC say yes to the dress where it is like, I want a white dress and I want 
my groom to be like enamored with my purity and my holiness as I walk down the aisle? Does your Savior promise you that he'll do that for you? Jesus does. Jesus promises that no matter how many times you have sinned, no matter how stained you feel over the guilt of your sin, one day he's washing it all away and creating for you a pure and holy heart. Tell me, can your Savior do that? Jesus can. Six, Jesus is transforming you into someone like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face reflecting the glory of the Lord. How amazing is that? Most times the idols that we're trying to worship, we're trying to reflect them. But Jesus says, I'm going to reflect me and you. I'm going to do the work. Can your idol do that? He can't. She can't. Are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Can your slave master, can your Hagar, can you Ishmael, are you being turned into someone like Jesus who loves the unlovable, who gives selflessly, who cares, who creates purity, who creates holiness, who creates awesomeness in people? I don't think they can. And so as I close, these are the steps to not be a slave and to be a free son, a free daughter. Step one, believe through faith that Jesus Christ gives you everything you need. Step one, believe that. Don't just read the promises of God. Don't under, just underline them. Don't just hear them on Sundays. Don't just read books about them. Believe them in your heart. Step two, ask for the Holy Spirit of God to help you believe that Jesus is everything that you need. Step three, repeat steps one, two, and three. That's your life, friends. That's what it means to be a Christian. As we close, this is all we're doing when we come to the table. We do this thing here called the Lord's Table. This is bread and wine and juice. And what this is here to symbolize is this is an opportunity for you to get real personal and to repeat steps one, two, and three. And that's the only application I have today. Jesus said, whenever you gather together in my name for my sake, remember what I've done for you. This is what you do. You come forward and you say, Jesus, I want to believe. Not for yesterday, but for today right now. I want to believe that you are everything that I need today in every problem that I have. Holy Spirit, help me to believe that you are everything I need and everything I need right now, today. If you are not a Christian, friends, I I would not ask you to not partake. I would simply say this. It's not going to help you become a Christian. Become a Christian through faith and then partake and believe and participate in the family meal together that we celebrate every week as a church. So come as we sing.